Hey, it's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. It's May 29th, 2023. William Parker is in the studio with me. I've been wanting to get William on the show for years and uh, so happy to have him along. I've interviewed him before. He's one of the great, uh, one of the great musicians, educators, thinkers about the music. But what I was, the word I was looking for was his ability. A lot of people have a hard time talking about music. William is one of the people who can really capture musical ideas, musical experiences in words in a great way. I've always really appreciated that about him. So that's one of the reasons I've really been looking forward to getting him to do this. But uh, And also the range of things that he's experienced. And wow, we are deep in it right now. William mentioned to me, uh, when we were setting up this program, uh, we were talking about who we might focus on, and he told me about one particular show that he played when he was very young. 1975, yeah, I did a show with uh, Don Cherry at the Five Spot. He even said, yeah, I tell people about that, they don't believe me. Um, Kind of offhand. We found it. I found it, and you're listening to him, listening to it and responding. If you miss the first hour, I do recommend that you go back and check that out first. But hey, it's, uh, it's your show, not mine. So you live it the way you feel it. Uh, William and I get into talking about the Vision Fest, something very close to his heart that uh, Patricia Nicholson Parker produces. He was quick to correct me on giving him credit for uh, creating that marvelous festival, but it's coming up very soon here in New York. If you are lucky enough to be here and a place to be able to go, don't miss it. It's really a treat to gather there for the music. And here it is. This is part two, May 29th, 2023. William Parker on the topic of Don Cherry. And later we get into another stellar artist that William had some history with. It's Deep Focus. Thank you. 
Listening to WKCR FM New York, WKCR HD, WKCR.org, maybe 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. The show's called Deep Focus. And well, I hope you're not just joining us because you've missed a lot of great stuff, but uh, you could catch it on the Deep Focus podcast. But um, we're still deep in it. We are listening to a set from Don Cherry Group at the Five Spot. June of 1975, a truly rare recording, to say the least, and so rare that even our guest, who's one of the two bassists on this session, had never heard it before tonight. So he's hearing it with you for the first time. William Parker here in the studio with me. William, it's uh, we're taking this journey with Don Cherry and the ensemble. Yes, oh yeah, it's uh, fantastic. Fantastic, as uh, as Alan Silva would say. <laughs> Fantastic. When you so uh, we looked this apparently, if the date's correct, this was a Saturday night in this full week that you guys did, or full full musical week, five nights or so. Um, did uh, putting your back mind back to New York, nineteen seventy five. Did the audience? Were they willing and ready when they walked into a place like the Five Spot to take this journey with the band, usually? And what did you find with that? Oh, I, I think so. Because um, I remember uh, there's a lot of people there. You know, Cecil Taylor was in the audience. And uh, he came up to me and, you know, and gave me one of those looks like, oh, you're up there. Okay, great, 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 great. I was wondering where you were. Um, and, uh, and I think that it was Saturday night is always, uh, people are ready. Yeah. Because they, they've worked all week and they need a release. They need inspiration. They need to, to get a focal point to pull themselves back together. You know, because uh, it's another work week coming up. And um, and even though life life was never uh, easy, you know, people say, "Well, that, you know, things were a little better back then." And I think, in lots of ways, they were. But uh, it was always a challenge because, uh, as as James Baldwin used to say, you know, it's it's very difficult just being me. Yeah. And when I've got to live in this world, that makes it twice as difficult. You know, if the world were perfect, life would still be difficult because I had to live with myself. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, this moment, 1975, I think a lot of younger people sort of, um, there's 
a haze of magic about it, and New York was sort of, you know, forgotten and overlooked at this time, and all this, all this inexpensive real estate where this music was able to grab hold was because nobody else wanted to be here, which was kind of great in a way, but also I'm sure it was a challenge to live through that day to day. Yeah, but it was also uh, the fact that you could have a, a part-time job. And, you, and remember, a lot of musicians work, you work at a copy shop, you work as a, a foot or a bike messenger, and you could work from eight in the morning till noon and then the rest of the day, you had off to practice, to think. You could paint your house and watch the paint dry. <laughs> you know, you had time to, to contemplate. It wasn't like rushing from one thing to another to another. But the main thing is you got to play all day if you, if you, could, if you could make it work. And that was the thing. That was the what the younger musicians don't do today is they don't play all day. I mean, we used to play all. I mean, from um, early in the morning down to uh, late at night. You know, you'd play. I mean, before I, I moved down to I moved down to the village in in May of '75, and um, but before that, I was living in Bronx, New York, and I would come down to uh, Lower East Side early in the morning and around 10, 11 o'clock, even sometimes walking from the Bronx with my bass on my back. My goodness. And uh, and then play at a place called The Firehouse, which was owned by a saxophone player named Alan Glover. We call him Juice. And we'd play there from 10 o'clock to about 1 o'clock and I mean, just straight playing, hard playing. And musicians would stop by there. I mean, that's where I met Billy Higgins, you know, uh, Andrew Hill, uh, uh, you know, Frank Lowe, Charles Brackeen, Rashid Sanon. They would all stop by this place. And then around two o'clock, I would move over to Studio We, which was 193 Eldridge Street, and play there. There'd be all kinds of musicians there. You know. You know, Dave Burrell, Carl Berger, Archie Shep, and you'd hang around, you'd play, and then there was a whole crop of musicians who will never be written in the history books, who will never, uh, probably were never recorded. You know, drummers like Tyrone, and they had names like Tyrone, Tyrone could play, and Eugene could play, great drummers, and another drummer named Clemson Parker. There was three or four Hassans. There was a couple of guys named Yaya. So there was all kinds of musicians, you know, Earl Cross, you meet, um, Tommy Turrington, Clarence C. Sharp. And, and this is just casual. You know, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't um, a grand occasion. You know, Sonny Donaldson, uh, and then from there, after Studio We, you could either stay there or you go over to Sam Rivers' place. And sometimes you were playing there. You know, I, pl I played there with Charles Tyler, Sonny Murray, uh, Jamil Moondock Ensemble Muntu, Charles Brackeen Trios, uh, with all kinds of musicians. 
And then after Studio Ribby, I go over to Sixth Avenue, underneath the Waverly Theater. We had a basement down there, and we'd play there with Dewey Johnson, trumpet player Daniel Carter, Billy Bang, bass player Earl Freeman, and many many others would stop by, and we'd play until the wee hours of the morning. Then we come out. I guess I'm squeaking a little bit. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> part of the show Put a little oil on this chair um and i'd come out and we talk about how music was going to save the world you know then if i make it back up to the bronx by then i have the 75 cents for car fare and make it back up to the bronx and then i'd either leave my bass down and repeat the process the next day and but we'd be playing all the time all the because that's how you learn to play music is to play and it's not so much you're trying to learn to do something you learn you try to learn what not to do and and the thing you're supposed to be learning how to do is not to do anything hmm. which is very hard to, to to learn for some people because they always think they have to do something but part of learning music is knowing that when is to let the music go let it flow and that's very difficult because they say, how can you grade somebody in music at music school when they just let the music flow? But that's part of it. You know, that's part. I mean, that, that's what part of what you call the mystery system of learning music. So it was a it was a great period and a great time. And then you had the great migration to Brooklyn to to New Jersey. Uh, musicians began to they couldn't afford the rent, so they would go to Jersey City, you know, I remember when, uh, you know, Perry Robinson and Mark Whitecase, they moved to Jersey City, and uh, then musicians started to move to Brooklyn. And for years, Brooklyn, you had to, everyone in Brooklyn used to come to Manhattan to eat, because you couldn't find any restaurants in Brooklyn. Now, now Brooklyn is, is totally developed, and uh, people are going further out in Brooklyn. So it's a little different scene, and people are, you know, coming out of music school and graduating, and there's still the social structure of gigging uh, has not changed. It really has, it's, it's just still uh, an idea that you get a gig when you can, but um, you know, America doesn't support that part of the arts like it should. And no matter whether you're the most famous musician or the most unknown musician, you always go to Europe. And, and that was a saving grace for many musicians. Go to Europe, be treated like an artist, do some gigs, strengthen yourself, revive yourself, then come back. And then, of course, the, the record industry changed. It went from LPs to CDs. And then eventually computers came in and cell phones. And it, it just, everything went down, down, down. Mm. And we're in the state we are now. But... The music is being kept alive. It's being kept alive by um, one of the organizations is Arts for Art. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this because you, talking to William Parker, and uh, I want to turn for a moment. We're going to come back. There's more of this set with Don Cherry, and, and what you're talking about is exactly represented in that music, I think. But we're going to come back to talking about that because you're... A remarkable energy and 
organizational skills and, and education work and band leading and conceptualizing all comes into focus in, in, to my mind during these few weeks of June, this week or so of June each year with the Vision Festival. Yes. And, and, and let yeah. me just preface this and, and put a prelude that the, that the Vision Festival, and I say this all the time, was created and started by Patricia Nicholson. She does all the work. I get all <laughs> the credit, which is very, very unfair, but that's the kind of society we live in. It's still, you know, racist, sexist, and uh, but she organizes that with, uh, you know, with Todd Nicholson, and they have a crew of people who do d- different tasks that put it on. It's the 28th year of the Vision Festival, and the Vision Festival, uh, just to let people know, uh, is a six or seven day festival which combines music, dance, poetry, and visual arts under one roof. And uh, it's international. We've always presented international artists from around the world have come and played. And, um, and each year it has a theme. And this year it's called Improvising the Future. And this, so this is coming up, it's starting June 10th, and you've got a re- really impressive full plate of activity coming along. Um, how do people find out about what's happening? What's- well, I guess you can go to uh, artsforarts.org if you're a computer person, uh, and it'll tell you all the information. There are conferences June 10th. Uh, Spirit of the Ancestors, there are film showings um, at roulette and conferences, uh, the ecology of media, music, and accessibility. Very interesting discussions about kind of things we were talking about, the future of the music and the sustaining the... uh, the performance of, of art because you, you're, you're a musician and you you learn how to play music and they say, well, yeah, I learned how to play music and, and I have a degree, but I never took a solo. I never played a gig because there were no, there were no gigs. So am I a musician? <laughs> or am I, and what shall I do? Yeah. You know, and, and, and the thing is that so so that's the idea of of thinking about what can we do together to try to change the situation because I think if a situation gets worse then what was done to make it worse, we can do something to make it better. So that's what the panel discussions are for, to discuss how the music community can be uh activated to sort of save the music and and push back against stuff that uh, you know artificial intelligence and and all of this stuff that has nothing really to do with human beings, you know. So um, and this year, where every year we, the Vision Festival honors a particular musician. Um, this year, we're honoring the the French bass player, Joël Leandri, on the. 13th, and then to close the festival, we're actually honoring uh, bassist Reggie Workman, 
Um, I believe that's on the uh, boom, boom, boom. That's on the 18th. The last set of the festival. So it's book in Joelle Andre and Reggie Workman. And in between, packaged in there is a lot, a lot of music. Tremendous, tremendous amount, really. And uh, a lot of the most noteworthy improvising musicians and others in um, around New York and places far beyond a big, powerful, loaded program of music each night. And uh, mostly, and Roulette's a terrific venue for this, too. You were talking about Brooklyn becoming the gravitational center, which, and I was out there, I lived in Brooklyn that part of that time you were talking about, and I used to say, you know, if you just drop this place down anywhere other than next to Manhattan, you should have all the restaurants and concert venues and movie theaters and all that, and it, it didn't have it. Now it does. Roulette's a terrific place for this. I think that's a great choice of putting the focus on the music, and um, it's got a very comfortable vibe about it, too. And there's also, along with a magnificent night of music, any time you go, um, that intangible thing that happens of uh, rubbing shoulders and meeting like-minded people and exchange of ideas and just seeing that there are people who share your interest and your view on the world. Yeah. Well, it's so wonderful to, you know, musicians meet several ways at, you know, in the airport, going out of the country. They meet at funerals or memorials. And, um, but it's the greatest meeting place is at festivals. Where every, where everyone is talking, you haven't seen this guy, or this or this woman, um, for for years. You know where you been up to? Hey, good. You know, it's just a good feeling, all all around the board, and um, even before the first sound starts, there's a good feeling, and like like there's a great movie that's going to be shown called on Sonny Simmons on June twelfth at Roulette. It's called In Modern Time, and it talks about, it's a movie about Sonny uh, in uh, a city that he grew up in, in Louisiana, and there's also a film about Joel Leandri, and there's a premiere, the opening night, called Atlantic Avenue Septet, music composition by Joel with uh, Ingrid Laubrecht, saxophone, Steve Swell, trombone, Matt Maneri, viola. Jason Cal Wong, violin, Fred Lumberg, home, cello, and Joe Morris, guitar. So that's, you know, I mean, every night there's a, a, a great, every set is great, you know. I'm, I'm, yeah, very impressive. And a nice presentation in the website, too, at artsforart.org, artsforart.org. And um, so it's Kicking off uh, the first conference is June 10th and continuing on through June 18th. At, and is everything happening at Roulette or are there other venues as well? Um, there's one film showing at Clemente, 107 Suffolk Street, uh, called uh, Jans in the Moment, about the uh, visual artist Robert Jans, uh, a film made about him. But most of the stuff is actually taking place in Roulette. Sometimes... We use the film anthologies, but that doesn't look like it's happening this year. 
But um, very, very exciting. I'm seeing here, wow, Ted Daniels has got a band, International Brass and Membrane Corpse. Karen Borker, who's the number one bassoon player of improvised music in the world. Jaime Drake doing Turia, honoring Alice Coltrane, the Mark Dresser 7. Okay, Gerald Cleaver, Black Host, that's on Wednesday. And uh, every night, it's just, you know. Yeah, you, you barely scratch the surface. I'm telling you. Uh, Dave Burrell and Joe McPhee doing a duet. And, uh, yeah, so all kinds of really, really impressive lineup of I mean, improvisers. Mike Jason Reed's Miranda. Separatist Party from Chicago. Man, I wonder what that sounds like. Yeah, Ooh. Matthew Ship's going to be there. The shipster will be there, yes. <laughs> All kinds of great stuff. So, yeah, go to artsforart.org, get the lineup. You can buy tickets there and everything. And it's, uh, it's the, if, if you are moved by this music that we're playing, that's where you want to be. And hats off to Patricia Nicholson Parker for making it happen. Yes, sir. Always. Fantastic. We'll... Uh, Come back to talk about that a little bit more later in the program. We are at the five spot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was there, I guess, well, it was the new five spot, I guess. I don't know if it had the had the vibe of the legend of the five spot in the 50s. Were there some holdover there? Was it? Well, uh, the Termini brothers, one of them was around. He owned a grocery store across the street. Now, I don't know. Uh, one was named Joe. I forget what the other one's name was. Iggy, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. They both could have been around, but I remember one was, was there. and um, But no, um, everyone everyone was in, was in good spirits. And because uh, I think, uh, I know Cecil played there, Cecil Taylor. I think Monk did a stint there. Charles Mingus played there after it reopened. Wow. Yeah. That was a, you know, uh, the last time I saw Mingus, you know, was, well, I didn't see him play, but I saw him, you know, we had had a few little encounters. And uh, I was walking down the street, St. Mark's Place, and he was in front of the five spot. So he called me over and he said to me, you still playing? And I said, yeah. He said, okay, keep playing. And and For a bassist, I mean, he had to be, he literally, literally loomed large. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, in your consciousness, I could, I could only imagine. Let me ask you, you know, what kind of uh, the role of Charles Mingus as an inspiration at that time? Well, he was inspirational because he did what he did. He showed you that it could be done. And, you know, one of the first things you learn... Uh, we were in uh, up at bass class, and um, we had uh, Art Davis was the bass teacher, and a lot of the bass players up there. This is up at uh, Jazzmobile IS two hundred one in uh, in Harlem, and uh, people were trying to do play like Paul Chambers, and so I went home and I tried to. To any, something like Paul Chambers. And after f five minutes, I said, forget about it. There's no way in the world I want to play like Paul Chambers. 
And then I began to, to realize that every musician has got their own DNA and that I'm supposed to play my DNA and my sound and Paul Chambers has his sound and, you know, Wilbur had his sound and, you know, every, everyone has his sound. So what you listen to and inspired, you're inspired by someone else to play your sound, not to imitate their sound. And, um, and that's something people don't, you know, a lot of people don't understand. I remember um, years ago, uh, Wadada Leo Smith had a record out, and he did a track song for Duke Ellington. And, um, and people were saying, wow, that, that don't sound anything like Duke Ellington. But the idea wasn't to sound like Duke Ellington. He was doing a piece because Duke Ellington inspired him to be himself. And that's all we can do is inspire people to be themselves. And because uh, why would you want to inspire somebody to be you? <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> you yeah. know? That, that job's covered. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> we are, uh, William Parker, it's such a privilege having you here in the studio, WKCR. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. And I, uh, well, you and I were talking, William, and you gave me, uh, n- mentioned a few artists that might be good to focus on, and you specifically mentioned he said yeah you know i i did a did a show with don cherry at the five spot in 75 and uh i tell people that and they they don't always believe me you said something like that to that effect and here it is we found this recording of that very show and that's what we're in the midst of listening to cherry i think had just you were talking about musicians recharging in europe i think he had just come back from living in Sweden for some period of time, fairly recently at that time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, he, he was going back and forth. And uh, he was coming to New York to just get a different... New York has got a particular energy. And like, you know, the idea of you have a city energy and you've got a country energy. And uh, they both have their attributes. Uh you just have to be more careful in the city, and um, and just thread, you know, tread lightly, because you, you can't walk barefoot in the city. But in the country, you can walk barefoot because it's grass and the soil. But in the city, you have broken bottles and rocks and stuff. So, um, but you need both because people live in both, and people in the city need music, and you need to play in the country to learn how to play better music for people in the city. So now, let me ask you, when you, uh, we're going to get back to the music in a minute. I'm so curious talking to you about all this stuff. Did this, uh, you told us early in the show about literally seeing Don Cherry in the street, and that led to you being invited to participate in this show. Did this feel like, uh, well, here, my, my, this is my grad school education or, I'm on the big stage now, or did it just feel like a day at the office, or did it just, what was kind of the vibe for you of being on the bandstand with these musicians here? Because you, you, you were a very young man still. Yes, I was 23. So uh, in 1974, I had played with Cecil Taylor at Carnegie Hall, 
And before that, from 1973 to 74, I was playing every day with uh, Jamil Moondock and Arthur Williams, uh, then Rashid Bakar, and, uh, and Mark Hennon in an ensemble called Muntu. And that was the training ground because we played three, four hours a night every day. So I was, uh, as far as energy and, and stamina, I was ready for Cecil and I was also ready for Don Cherry. But what I felt, I felt it was a, it was a, it was the beginning of the musical of the life gifts I was going to be given that I was able to run into people who I would call my heroes. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm getting off the subway and there's Sonny Murray. This was 73. And uh, then we walked down to Studio Ribby and there's Charles Tyler. There's Bobby Bradford. You know, there's Sam Rivers. So I'm meeting all of these people and then you find out that they're not superhumans, they're humans. And that, um, and you begin to have confidence in what you can offer or bring to the plate or to, to the table. I think that, um, but it's also learning because you know you have to, every day you have to learn. You have to learn and you have to investigate. You have to practice all the time. You really have to be able to to accept the unknown, you know, so you so you practice the known to be able to accept the unknown. And um, so I just thought it was, a, it was a great gift and blessing, you know, that, that I was able to, uh, to meet these people. And um, I think that the first musician I met as early as 71, 72, I, I met uh, Charlie Hayden. Mm-hmm. And um, this is before I was even he had a bass, you know. And I and I and I was uh, like writing my little reviews for for uh, uh, for Downbeat. So I was going to the free concerts in the library, and uh, so I met Carl Berger, Charlie Hayden, Horace Arnold, and Carlos Ward. And so I, I said to Charlie, I said, well, you know, I want to get a bass soon and learn how to play the bass. And I, I, and I also had my, my music theory books with him. I gave him one of my books. And then he said, well, you know, what you should do is play along with records. That's how I learned. Hmm. And uh, so that's what I did. And I played along with records. And this is a, a funny story. You know, when you play along with a record, and I'm playing along with this record, and I'm saying, Man, I sound pretty good. <laughs> I sound just like the record. And that's what you're saying in your head. Of course, it's a record, but, <laughs> but you're convincing yourself. And uh, But, you're, you're, but you're, you're getting the feel. The feel is coming out. And then you go from one, one event to another. And uh, where I was in the Bronx, you had all kinds of musicians. You had all kinds of people. You had all kinds of of uh, horn players and trumpet players. You know, we used to play at this place called the Salt and Pepper. And they had, they had another place called the Sugar and Spice on, on Jerome Avenue. And I used to play there in jam sessions. 
and you you play. I I used to play with uh, Walter Bishop Senior. Wow. Now Walter Bishop Senior is Walter Bishop Junior's father, and he was a gentleman. He always wore a suit, and he had his own fake book. All his tunes were written in C. Huh. And he and so he would give you the book, and we would play weddings. We'd go to the Hamptons. We'd play weddings. We'd play these little clubs. But he was always said, you know, you'd be on time. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't really wear a suit, but I dressed as nice as I could dress at that particular time. So I worked with him, and I also worked with a singer called Maxine Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had a place in the Bronx called the house that Jazz built. And so I'd go there and, um, in fact, I would go there and play with Maxine Sullivan and then I'd go downtown and play with Cecil Taylor. How about that? And she never knew I was playing with Cecil Taylor. But Maxine Sullivan, in the middle of playing, you take the high road and I take the low road, she'd pick up her pocket trumpet. Wow. And she'd improvise on the pocket trumpet. The piano player was a guy named Dill Jones, and we had a drummer named Louis McMillan. Now, uh, Louis McMillan was uh, also a ventriloquist, <laughs> and I worked with him at Wells Coffee at Wells Waffle House. And the only thing with him is he would say, "Never put the spotlight on my mouth." Because his mouth used to move. Right, sure. And But he had he was a black guy, but he had a white dummy. <laughs> so he would say, this is the only integrated act in show business. <laughs> so I worked with him. So I, so I was doing that in the day. I was working with folk singers. I was working anything I could do. I was, I was, you know, it was no discrimination mm-hmm. for style. And on Sundays, you'd work with the, what I call the divas. Now, divas were singers who work like at the food stamp office during the week or work at the post office. But then on the weekend, they you can't you couldn't tell this lady she wasn't she right. wasn't Ella Fitzgerald. Right, sure. Yeah. I mean, you could you, you can't tell her. She, you, you, and she's not, dressed for the occasion. Yeah, I mean, she's, you, you don't, don't, you don't, talk, don't say nothing. I'm Sarah Vaughn, you know. So so that's when I learned about modulation because they would start in the key of B flat. And by the middle of the song, they're, oh, in, the no. key, they're in the key of Y and X oh, and no. Z. And, and then they look back at you like, what are you guys, <laughs> what are you guys playing? And we, you know, but you let you laugh and have fun. But it's all part of the the journey to uh, to finding yourself and, and playing music. Wow, wow! We are here with William Parker, bassist and raconteur, historian, educator, author, and so much more. It's deep focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. We are WKCR, and we're going to go back to the five spot. June 7th, 1975, Don Cherry leading the band, Sandy Bull on possibly guitar and or oud, maybe, Frank Lowe playing, man, every every position on the diamond, uh, tenor, baritone sax, soprano sax, flute, Roger Blank and Ed Blackwell on the drums, Hakeem Jami along with William Parker on the bass, Celine Fung on the chin, and you in the audience on W. KCR. <laughs> 
WKCR FM New York, WKCR HD, WKCR.org. It's Deep Focus, music from Don Cherry. And our guest in the studio for Deep Focus, William Parker. part two of this program from May 29th, 2023. My guest, William Parker, our topic, Don Cherry. I never get tired of talking about Don Cherry or listening to music, Don Cherry, or hearing stories about Don Cherry. And uh, there's one more hour of this program coming up. So before I pop over to that, let me just um, thank everybody who has been subscribing to Deep Focus. It makes such a difference. I hope it makes a difference for you and your experience of the show. But uh, it definitely makes a difference for us and for people who've never heard of the show. Because when you click like or give five stars or make a comment or whatever, it raises the profile of deep focus in the algorithms of Apple Music and Podbean and Google and any place that you happen to land with these things. You could put in for more than one of them. And... That means more people get exposed to this. There's literally millions of podcasts out there, which is great. I listen to them. And, but, um, you know, I just want to, I'm just giving this away. So I just want people to hear it. So everybody who's been doing that, I feel you and appreciate it so, so much. And the best way to share it, of course, is tell somebody. Tell somebody that likes the music you like or think might like the music you like or something else you like, the food you like, the art you like, taking the kind of walks or travel or books or whatever it is. Somebody that likes one thing, they might. This is a a cool thing, man. (laughs) You get into this music, it takes you places. Believe me. So great thanks to all of you folks. And, you know, I'm curious how you listen to the show and when you listen to the show. I would love to hear from you you can email me at deepfocusnow at gmail.com deepfocusnow at gmail.com and tell me do you listen in the car do you listen at work do you listen when you're walking the dog or 
trying to fall asleep or cooking dinner or alone or with friends or when and how. I would love to hear what your experiences are. So let us know. And you can also come along on Instagram. We are Deep Focus Podcast on Instagram. Always posting stuff about the show there and photos and little teasers and information about the show coming up. And yeah, or and you can look if you really want to dive a little deeper. Go to MitchGoldman.com and pull down the About Deep Focus tab. Okay, this was part two of three parts. William Parker on Don Cherry. In the next hour, we're going to hear William talking about another person I have enormous admiration for and appreciation for his music, Billy Bang. Billy Bang and William made a lot of great music together, and you're going to hear some of it. Hour three. May 29th, 2023, William Parker, the guest on Deep Focus.